0: It's time for Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by the Power Lodge, SCR Northern, Thielen Meats, Weimer Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, s Bait & Tackle, Oars & Mine Marine in Crosby, Ice Sports. Custom Fish Houses, Bermal Shoe Store in Randall, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Brian Moon.
1: And welcome into this week's show. We've got a lot to cover. We'll talk some crappie fishing. People are out uh, actually open water fishing a little bit right now. Uh, Steve Sapaniak's been doing a lot of that out around the Mille Lacs area. And believe it or not, June's not that far off, so we're going to talk a little bit about some musky tips as well. Matt Brewer has been doing a lot of turkey hunting up around the Bemidji area. We'll talk about that, plus a whole lot more. All that on this week's edition of Brainerd Outdoors kind of an interesting conversation uh, that we've been having here the past couple of weeks has been with uh, Dan Zimmerman. He's with the National Wild Turkey Federation. He's the president of the Brainerd chapter and Dan's been nice enough to join us here kind of doing some on-air seminars when it comes to turkey hunting have been very enjoyable and educational hopefully to those who have uh, tried them out and uh, Dan joins us again this week and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff you want to have in the field with you from uh, I guess equipment and, and, and basically what's in your vest type of thing uh, and we'll also demonstrate and talk about some calls that are out there that uh, might be able to help you out and what the National Wild Turkey Federation actually gives back to the community. Uh, Dan how we doing?
2: very good thank you for having me
1: well thanks for for joining us we, like we said it's uh, always a blast to to sit down and chat with you i got a turkey hunt coming up next week so i i, I guess it, more than more that i talk to you the more and more excited about it i get
2: well that's uh the name of the game getting people excited and out in the woods and enjoying uh this uh great sport of wild turkey hunting.
1: We talked last week about decoy placement, and and we've uh, really touched on a lot of different topics here the the past couple of weeks. Uh, As we get now further and further into spring, and and hopefully things start to warm up a little bit, uh, there's a few other things that hunters might want to take to the woods with them when they're heading out uh, for their hunt.
2: You don't need to go out and buy a real expensive turkey vest, but it certainly helps to have a little grab bag with some things that are going to make the hunt a little bit more enjoyable and a little bit more successful. And, you know, some of the things, you know, like we talked about calls of various uh, styles and, and, you know, calling themselves, there's a number of different things that the turkeys do to communicate in the woods. And different calls are kind of important due to the fact that if they hear the same thing time after time with guys in the woods, they get a condition called call shock. And I would have to honestly say that the bird that I shot last week that I talked to you about was one of those situations where this bird just didn't uh, respond to any calling at all except for his his own. I I recall hearing one faint call off in the distance and uh, a second call once I had seen him and he had moved off from me and he responded to the other gobbles from birds that were in the woods but did not respond to my yelps, clucks, and purrs. It was just one of those birds that, you know, as they get older, get smarter, and, you know, if you're not the real McCoy, they're not going to talk.
1: And there is such a thing, too, and I think you and I have talked about this and the fact that one of the most mistakes hunters make in calling is overcalling. Would you agree?
2: Absolutely, and that, that, that's why the birds do get educated, either through a mistake of your own by movement or due to the calling itself, uh, maybe being too loud, If you've ever heard a hen in the wild, they don't really make a lot of loud, loud calls. And unless you get a response from a turkey and know kind of an estimated distance, say, if, if you let out a yelp early in the morning and you hear a gobbler respond and you can kind of judge that distance, you might want to tone it down a little bit due to the fact that they can really hear good. They don't need to be blasted at. And if a turkey, a wise one, is sneaking up on you in the woods and has not responded, and you're bellering out there at top vocal, uh, I have a feeling that you're going to scare him off. And that's why the light purrs, clucks, you think you're not reaching them, but believe me, if they're in the
3: woods, they hear.
1: And there's a varied amount of calls out there, Dan, and, and some of them, you know, like yourself, that, that hunters get good enough where they can just do it on their own, where they, you don't even need any devices or anything. Uh, out of all of those calls that are out there, Dan, is there any specific one you would recommend? Because I'm sure there's some that work real good and some not so much.
2: I guess I like to start out with a, a real loud yelp in the morning to see if there is a turkey in the woods, and then I'll tame it down and what the yelp is is coming off of the roost and letting the world know that the turkey has woke up and is coming, you know, to life with uh the flock, so to speak. And then once uh they're on the ground and they cluck and they start to purr because then that becomes part of their cycle as as a routine for the day. Uh there it seems like when I've heard hens in the wild they're always purring, you know, just... <laughs> like chickens in the barnyard. They're scratching and they're looking and they're just communicating with each other. And the cluck, that's just kind of an assembly where they're talking to each other. Maybe one or two of the birds are getting away from the flock and, you know, old mother hen is trying to keep everybody in tow, you know. That's kind of their communication. Those are the simplest ones that turkey hunters can communicate with turkeys without getting you know, real sophisticated. You know, I can kind of do my own mouth call naturally. It's just something that I've acquired over time. Now, I know know, a lot of guys can't do that, but if you can, figure it out yourself. Because you're, if you're in eye contact with a turkey, because the human cannot be as loud as, say, a, a frequency call of that sort of nature, that's probably the best. Because it is something different. It is your own voice, and it, you know these mass-produced calls kind of have a tendency to sound all the same to the turkey. Uh, The easiest call, I guess, for, you know, a beginner is, you know, is a friction call, whether it be a slate call or a box paddle call. They're easy to do, and, you know, you don't have to get real sophisticated with turkeys. In fact, you know, a couple of mistakes in there is always good because turkeys obviously don't sound the same themselves all the time. But personally, when I get going early, I use a mouth call because you your hand's free, you're sitting in the blind or against a, a stump, and you don't have to move. All you're doing is letting air release from your mouth. And First, they're kind of hard to get used to. Some people feel like they're going to choke on it because it is up in the soft part of your mouth. Uh, the vibration sometimes tickles your tongue, and some people don't like them, but again, the resonance and the sound carry is a lot better with that. And again, it it keeps your hands free. The slate call has its limitations, especially if it's been raining and wet. Uh, A lot of times the strikers get wet and then they don't work real good. Uh, Same way with a chalk box call. If it gets damp, and again, you have to use two hands to operate these two devices. Again, you're making movement and noises in the woods that can attract attention.
1: As far as field wear goes Dan I know it, you want to you know be as camoed as possible but there's I suppose varying opinions on this too. I, I don't think you a person would have to go out and spend uh, $400 in, in new clothes to go turkey hunting but at the same time you do want to be hidden somewhat right?
2: Cover up all your skin. Obviously your skin is going to be your dead giveaway. Uh, a lot of times turkeys that are up close and and, uh, can see, Uh, you know, like I told you last week when we were laying there in the grass, my biggest concern was that, you know, they're going to see the whites of your eyes even at at that close of a range at the end of your feet. I mean, holy buckets, that's about as close as you get to a wild turkey. (laughs) And there isn't a whole lot you can do about that, but I was camoed to the max. I didn't spend a whole lot of money on my camo. Most of your Army surplus places have good stuff that's available and you can certainly get by you know when you're first starting out on a on a smaller budget but as you see things that developed in the industry it's always kind of nice and neat to stay within say the the circles of uh fashion
1: <laughs> yeah and a lot of things too that are in vogue now with with especially bow hunting with with deer uh, are these scent lock clothes and all of the scent blocker type of things? Uh, th- is that necessary for turkey hunting? Not,
2: not at all. Turkeys don't really smell that good. Basically, it's sound and and uh, sight that the turkey is uh, most aware of. Uh, but if you have the same camel, the same getup that you use bow hunting in the woods, is perfectly fine for hunting turkeys. In fact a young man that I hunted with last Saturday that bagged a bird here just uh west of Gull Lake. Yeah, he had old uh you know, nineteen eighties camel, you know, certainly perfectly fine. It's just a break up in the pattern. That's all you're looking for and he bought his stuff at uh, the local army surplus store and He bagged a 23-pounder.
1: Last year, I drew the final season or final weekend of the season, uh, which got into late May, and as you get into those times, you have to start dealing with mosquitoes and and wood ticks and and the like. Uh, What should a a hunter have in in his carry bag to combat this?
2: Well, there's a number of different devices, you know, that are available, you know, for mosquitoes, I guess, you know, off or cutters or any of that is is, uh, certainly fine for keeping mosquitoes away, there's, you know, the new stuff for the wood ticks, you know, not getting brand specific, but that's probably my biggest fear is wood ticks. I can deal with mosquitoes. You know, you got a headgear on, or I do anyway, you know, camel mask headgear, so there's mosquitoes, and if you got your your full-length camel, uh, I think that's probably as adequate as can be, but the wood tick thing, I guess, is what bothers me, especially in central minnesota it has the highest concentration of lyme's disease and that that, i i've seen enough guys i've been fortunate enough not to get it but i just don't ever want to have lyme's
3: disease and if you can get that stuff use it
1: uh dan zimmerman he is with the national wild turkey federation the of the brainerd chapter as always dan a pleasure to talk to you thanks for the great information and uh we'll check in here in the future okay thank you brian have a good day more of brainerd outdoors after this on b93.3 Whether it's for fun, sport, or hunting, if you love to shoot, you know it's important to go to a gun shop that has everything you need. That's Freedom Firearms in Brainerd. Freedom Firearms isn't a huge gun shop, which means Russ, the owner, attends to his customers. They carry rifles, shotguns, pistols, suppressors, distance precision rifles, plus ammo and accessories and gunsmithing. Plus they offer $25 transfer fees. Buy, sign, or trade at Freedom Firearms, two blocks east of the historic water tower between Little Caesars and O'Reilly. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3 And we head up north for the Up North Report Matt Brewer with North Country Guide Service in Bemidji joins us And uh, Matt, you've been pretty busy, uh, you know, like a lot of us Looking for something to do outside And one of the things we can do is turkey hunt And you've been doing plenty of that And it looks like you've had some success
3: yeah we have had an awesome turkey season and uh and reduced hours for me at work during turkey season is uh not something you'll hear me complain about um <laughs> you know the the situation in which it it happens kind of stinks but uh but been enjoying uh my time we hunted uh i think we scouted two days and hunted three days and and had the kids. Both tagged out in those three days and then then I killed one opening morning of B season um, so three out of four down and my wife's tag doesn't start till season d so uh, so now I gotta find something else to do. <laughs> I'm
1: sure you'll find something knowing you um how have you found that the bird's been pretty receptive right now to calls or, or you know each week is different it seems like you know that first week everything's kind of scattered and then as we get further on they start to group up again and all that what have you found on that front
3: i found almost the exact opposite um when we were scouting and and during that first week they were really bunched up um you know like up to 20 birds in a group and we we'd see them milling around uh we saw scouted one field there were like 55 birds and uh it was groups of like 12, 20, you know, they're, they're really grouped up and we watched them go to roost all together. And, and by the time my season rolled around, um, they were really spread out like the biggest group that I encountered, um, on opening day. Cause I had Rylander with me. Um, so Jason was trying to fill a tag too. So we hunted most of the day. Um, but we saw like five birds together but that was the biggest group we saw so they were really starting to spread out and and of course they're still hen up um you know a lot of the hens have been bred and and some are already nesting and stuff but um but those those toms that do have hens you know that they're hanging around and they they aren't going to leave them right now <laughs> but if you can find a lonely one um things get pretty easy after that i mean they're really receptive to calls, and and uh, they'll move they'll move with you pretty good. And uh, if you can get on, like I said, a lonely bird midday or or late afternoon, or if you can put one to bed the night prior, and then uh, and hunt that bird in the morning, your your odds are really really good. They're they're fired up. So,
1: how does that uh, play into how you want to place your decoys, Matt?
3: Well, I I personally almost 90% of the time don't hunt with a decoy. I just, I don't hunt with a blind or a decoy myself. For the kids, it's different. Um, you know, early in the season, we were making a larger decoy spread. Sounds sounds like duck or goose hunting, but um, but we were putting, you know, two to four decoys out, whereas, you know, if I were to go out right now and uh, and try to work a field edge or something, and, uh, or, or a clearing or a, some kind of knob or something. And I were to put a decoy out. I'd maybe just put one hen decoy out or, you know, a, a low hen with a, with a half strut jake or something like that. But, but I, I personally don't really like using decoys that much. I, I prefer to just sit against a tree and have a tom come looking for me and try to be really still and outsmart them that way. Uh, you know, decoys help. They, Take uh, take the attention off off you, but uh, but I I don't know I I I just love the pure chatter back and forth and have that bird come looking for something that isn't there.
1: So you're pretty aggressive with your calling, then, Matt?
3: Yeah, until they get you know. Once I hear a bird drumming, or or if I know they're within you know seventy five eighty yards, I'll stop unless they hang up. Um, But I basically will go quiet and force that bird to come looking for me.
1: Very interesting. So there it is on the turkey front. Uh, you mentioned drumming. I uh, just kind of clicked in my head here. Um, Grouse right now, if people want to get out and... Because and, they're drumming right now, right?
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they... I mean, they'll drum year-round, but right now they're hardcore. Um, I, I would say we're almost... I would say by midweek next week, we'll probably be in the heart, like the, the strongest part of drumming, uh, where the males are looking for are trying to draw females into their area and uh I, i'm hearing them every day and especially when i'm out turkey hunting in the mornings and, and in the evenings they're drumming like crazy but, but yeah i mean it's fantastic uh to hear again <laughs> and uh and yeah they're they're really doing their thing i actually got to photo one uh last week on my way home from work one day um kind of snuck into an area where i know there's drumming log and there just happened to be a bird there and he had a hen roaming around him and got some cool pictures of him in strut and that's that's really cool and we've been kicking up woodcock like crazy and they got cranes that that they use the rye field next to next to my farm here like crazy and they're in there every day squawking and making noise and we got morels on the doorstep i mean they're they're going to start popping here within i would say Within the next week or so, I actually want to get out looking maybe on Sunday or Monday and see if I can find some. And And they open the rainy back up, so I'm going to go do some sturgeon fishing. And...
1: What about uh, crappies up by you? I know there, there are some people that are getting out here now, starting to find some of the smaller lakes that are warming up a little quicker. Uh, up by you, do you know some people that are doing some uh, crappie and pan fishing up there?
3: We're just not open yet. I mean, people are still ice fishing um like the end of last week
1: really wow
3: (laughs) yeah yeah so it's um bemidji's got a fair amount of open water and some of the smaller lakes you know they're opening up on the edges and things are really going to change here in the next four to five days with with these temps but um but as of right now no there's no place you can get a boat you know basically past the access so
1: interesting to know and like you said too you're going to do some sturgeon fishing up on Rainy out they open that back up um if anglers want to head up there and and, and check that out any tips for them
3: um same stuff as, as always globa crawlers uh, like a three ounce no roll thinker uh, 18 inch leader and a, a circle hook uh, and just sit there, enjoy the sun and be in outdoors, and wait for wait for your rod to bend over.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know the fun thing I think about sturgeon fishing, Matt, is like you said, these are prehistoric, you know, fish. I mean, some of these are just you know seventy, eighty years old. It seems like, and some of them are tagged and all of that. So, I mean, that can really be kind of a fun thing.
3: Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, and like I, I remember, I was thirty seven. And I caught one that was 37 years old, and I I thought to myself, I'm like, geez, we might share a birthday. Like, <laughs> it's crazy to think that a fish has been around for that long, you know?
1: Yeah. So there are some things that people can still do, Matt. That's the nice thing about this. And and like you said, you can get out in the woods, get out on the water if you if you can get out there and uh, still enjoy the outdoors because that's the one thing we still have. Correct. Yep. So there you go. Matt Brewer, North Country Guide Service in Bemidji. You can check him out at northcountryguides.com. Appreciate it as always, buddy. Stay safe up there, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Sounds good. More Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. And a nice treat this week. Uh, we're joined by the first time on the show, uh, John Thielen, who's the host of Lindy's Fishhead TV on Fox Sports North, joins us. We're going to talk some uh, cold water walleye tactics. I'm sure we'll, that's going to be the situation we're going to be in, I think, as we hit an opener. And also some shore fishing tactics as well, because many are going to be maybe taking part in that. First off, John, welcome to Brainerd Outdoors. Well, thank you. It's uh great to be on the show and and uh, I think you're right I think we're gonna have some
0: cold water fishing coming up here in a couple weeks.
1: I think you're right too uh so we'll get to that here in just a bit for those that aren't familiar with you John uh maybe a little background on on how you got started in this business and 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 a little bit about the show that that you host there on Fox Sports North. Sure well I'm gonna date myself a little bit I'm gonna age myself a little is actually what I'm gonna do here but
0: uh you know I got started in the industry full-time about 20 years ago I and I started through tournament fishing, and and uh, actually with the In Fisherman Professional Walleye Trail, I spent a bunch of years fishing that, and and I was fortunate enough to have some success there, and and make a few championships, and and have some good runs in the Angler of the Year race, and and ultimately it was really a springboard to the rest of my career, which got into uh, got into teaching people to fish more than anything. I, that's that's really what I enjoy doing, and and spending time you know teaching people to fish any species and, and i've been able to do that through magazines and and you know working with a lot of different writers i've been able to do it through various radio shows and and now for the last four years i've been the host of lindy's fish ed television on fox sports north and we also air on fox michigan and and we're also on fox midwest and up in canada on wild tv so the show has really grown and uh Man, I I love the opportunity to be out on the water and and doing what I love and and sharing sharing what I what I what I've been lucky enough to get to do with with a lot of viewers every Saturday morning.
1: What is what separates your show from the others that are out there? Is there anything specific? Well, I think the number one thing that we focus on is,
0: you know, one of the things that's happened in the TV industry and it's it's just the way it is is so much of it has become a situation where it's constant product talk and. And, you know, everybody's got to pay the bills one way or another. And I've been very fortunate that as we concepted Lindy's Fish Ed television, we have put together a a show that doesn't have to talk about products nonstop. You'll, You'll get to see the products that I use, but we really focus on tactics. I really focus on trying to teach people how to catch fish versus every single little product that I use. And, and again, you know, I understand the scenario that a lot of shows are in out there. you got to pay the bills. But I've been fortunate that Lindy and Pradco, fishing their parent company, has paid all the bill on this show because we we really do want to just focus on teaching people how to fish, how to fish those Lindy products, and how to catch more fish and enjoy more time on the water. Because, let's face it, the more more fish everybody catches, the more often they're going to go fishing, the more apt they are to bring a kid fishing day the more apt they are to be become a more avid fisherman. And, and I think that's really important in today's world. So that would be the difference with our show. We really do focus on trying to teach the the viewer tactics that
1: will help them catch fish when they go out on their own lake. Walleye is your favorite to go after, or are you basically just getting out on the water is your favorite? It's kind of funny, kind of a
0: hidden secret that I have is is man I love fall crappie fishing it's, it's something I've always really enjoyed but walleyes are my favorite and, and primarily because I built my career around walleye fishing I, I was a guide on Malax Lake for oh geez eight or nine years I did it full-time and and you know the tournament fishing that based around walleye. so realistically yeah walleyes are my favorite but walleyes are my kind of my favorite by default because that's where I was able to build my career
1: and you mentioned Mille Lacs. Would you say that's one of your favorite lakes? Uh, it's kind of hard to pick just one, but is that one of your favorite lakes here in the state to fish?
0: Oh, sure. You know, and, and I mean, I enjoy fishing all over the state. I enjoy fishing all over the Midwest. I did grow up fishing Mille Lacs. I, I grew up in Anoka, just a couple hours south of Brainerd, and, and it was an easy drive for my dad and I when I was a kid up to Mille Lacs Lake, and that is where we spent a lot of our time fishing. But I had grandfathers that had cabins in Alexandria, and another one on leech so you know we got to a lot of different places um we spend our weekends now up on mullax lake and my youngest son is 17 years old and he's got buddies up there every weekend and and you know while you can't keep anything there right now i'll tell you what it sure is fun to go out and catch as many fishes as are willing to bite and, and you know the the thing about these colder water tactics is if you just make a couple little changes, you're going to be able to catch fish. I mean, there's there will be people that that say, "Boy, those first few days after the ice goes off, it's really hard to catch them." And, and you know what? At times it can be, but you can still catch them if you make some adjustments. And and we can certainly talk about some of those today. I think bait selection is a big deal. If we're gonna if we're gonna have cold water, which I fully expect on opener, about every five years we have one of these. And if you if you didn't make it on the last opener, you're ten years removed from this weather. It was actually 2013, if I remember correctly. There was still ice on the shores on Mille Lacs Lake on opener, but that year, every time we dropped a leech in the water, that leech would ball up. And and if that leech is all balled up, the odds are that that leech is not going to catch you a fish. So one of the things that I change right away if we're gonna if we're gonna have cold water is I'm gonna fish minnows. And I'm going to fish minnows because they're they're already acclimated to that water temp. Um, you know, you put them in a bait tamer in your live well, and you've got water running into that live well, and those those minnows are, are going to be in great shape, where the leeches, they just can't handle that that super cold water when they get dropped in. So ultimately, that's one of the things I'm going to change right away, is I'm, I'm going to go to minnows. Second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put far less action on whatever the tactic is I'm using. So if I'm if I'm Lindy rigging and I might have when the fish are super aggressive, I might be holding that Lindy rig, you know, just six inches to a foot off the bottom, that weight. And and I might be using a heavier weight and moving a little bit faster. What I'm gonna do as soon as I get in that cold water is well I'm gonna be using a minnow, the other thing I'm gonna be doing is I'm also gonna be probably moving as slow as I can make my boat move I'm gonna lighten that weight up a little bit maybe I'm gonna go all the way down to an eighth ounce if I can get away with it and then I might even at times just drag that weight further back away from the boat and just let that let that uh, minnow just work his way along you know right along the bottom barely moving because I don't feel like the fish are going to be up and as active if we're right behind the spawn a lot of times they're They're laying a little bit tighter to the bottom and moving just a little slower, giving them a little more time to jump up and hit it can make a huge, huge difference too. And one thing I want to throw in about fishing minnows, whether we're fishing a jig or a lindy rig, keep this in mind. If, If you're lindy rigging, you really want your minnow to be moving. You want him alive. Just hook him through that soft spot in the upper lip. Don't go up through the skull and drag a dead minnow around. It can make a big, big difference if that minnow can actually put a little swimming action down there on his own. Now, if I'm jigging and I'm jigging really, really aggressively, it's going to be a little bit easier for me to justify letting that minnow die as I hook him. But if, if you're going to be just kind of dragging jig a little bit, you know, maybe you're going to downsize your jig. Just like we are a Lindy rig, maybe you're going to go down to a 16-ounce jig, maybe an eighth, and just drag it along. There's nothing wrong with lip-hooking a minnow at that point and letting that minnow struggle along a little bit as well because that's just added natural action down there that can help.
1: You know, one of the things you hear, John, uh, when you're fishing cold water a lot of times, a lot of anglers, I always say, fish slow. And I think sometimes anglers don't know, especially those that don't get out a lot, really know what that means. And I think that's also a mistake, and myself included. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what you actually mean when you say fish slow. Sure.
0: Hey, you know, if I'm in the middle of summer and that, fit, that that bite is just going crazy and fish are just going nuts, I might go with a Lindy rig 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 miles an hour. I might actually be really moving along. Now, one of the cool things is most everybody's running some type of GPS unit in their boat now. So you can get a real-time speed by looking at that GPS. I'll spend a lot of time. I, I run Humminbird Electronics. Everybody else makes good stuff, too. They'll all give you the ability to look at your speed while you're drifting along. But what I'm looking at now is I'm going to try to get down to point three, you know, maybe point four. And there's, there's various things you can do to get to those speeds. You know, maybe you're drifting... And it means putting a second drift sock out. If you're trying to troll, maybe maybe it means just dialing it down a little more. Maybe you're using a drift sock in conjunction with with your trolling motor. But the reality of it is slowing way down is not really slowing way down. Okay. It's what you're used to on opener, where you might be going 0.7, you know, maybe you're up to 0.8. You're not you're not slowing down two or three miles an hour. But you you might be slowing down half a mile an hour, maybe four tenths, three tenths of a mile an hour. And that can make a huge, huge difference. The other thing that I would say, too, and I've seen this happen a lot of times, especially in cold water early in the year, is getting your bait further away from the boat can make a big difference. So, you know, just a few minutes ago, I was talking about lightening up In, in lightening up that weight that you're using getting that bait back further away from the boat can make a big, big difference. Is it the fact that the water's a little clearer at this time of the year? Very well could be. You know, on a lot of our natural lakes, that runoff just doesn't dirty it up if the wind's not actually blowing and, 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 you know, we're not talking a river situation here. So maybe the boat bothers them a little bit in that colder water. But the other thing is we are usually fishing a little shallower in those cold water springs. And, you know, here we are this year you might be catching fish in five, six, seven feet of water. And if you're drifting over the top of them or, or back trolling over the top of them or pulling along with your your trolling motor, what you might find out is you're spooking some fish. So getting out further away from the boat can make a big, big difference in and, and using that lighter weight.
1: And one last thing I wanted to talk to you about, John, and that is uh, with some of the ice that may be on some of these lakes, uh, we might be fishing closer to shore or from shore. Uh, maybe sure. a few tactics on that as well.
0: Man, I, I think shore fishing is really overlooked. I'll, I'll give you a couple things that I firmly believe in. And I use these same things from the boat as well. Um, number one, remember this with, with this late spring, the walleyes are still going to be near spawning grounds. So if you're picking spots to fish from shore, you know, think about those areas that you've read about over the years or you've seen on TV that are spawning areas. And what that's going to be is, is your pea gravel type stuff, your harder bottom, your sand. You know, this isn't going to be your muddy bottom stuff. It's not going to be your weedy stuff. So you can rule out a lot of areas. If you've got a lake, now obviously you're not going to have a lot of weed growth this year when, when opener comes. I mean, that's just not going to be there because of the cold water. But if you know where those weeds usually grow, you're probably talking a softer bottom there. And you're probably in a situation where that's not where they're spawning. They're usually going to spawn more in those hard bottom areas, the gravel stuff, the sand stuff. So so the first thing I would do is, is, is eliminate about half the lake and get down to those areas. And maybe it's even more than that. But those areas from shore are going to hold more fish. Then the other thing is just understanding that it, it's so easy to cast from shore and bring it back too fast. Remember when you're bringing it back, take your time. I mean, it's... It's nothing for me to cast an eighth ounce jig with a minnow and take a couple minutes to work it all the way back. And I can stand next to somebody who takes 30 seconds to bring it back because when you're standing there on shore, you feel like you're not moving. Ultimately you got to think about how fast am I moving that bait? And you really want to dial it down. I mean, you want to bring it back slow, let it sit on the bottom, give it a little lift, a couple, a couple turns of the reel, let it settle again work it back really slow. Give them time to get it because you got to understand that you might be casting an eighth ounce jig right to where they're sitting. And if you bring it the first 10 feet too fast, they might not chase it back up that ledge quite as willingly as they might chase it down a ledge if you were in the boat. So slow down, especially at the beginning of your retrieve and give those fish time. If they're sitting right in that, six, seven, eight feet of water where we're most likely going to be able to cast to. The other thing I would say is use, a light, use the lightest jig you can if you're casting. Remember, the fall rate is going to be much faster with a quarter-ounce jig than an eighth-ounce jig, and a lot of times that slower fall each time you lift it will trigger more strikes in cold water than that faster fall you'll get with the heavier quarter-ounce jig. And then there's one last thing I would add. There's a gold mine opportunity, if you can find it, that that I've seen on a lot of lakes over the years. And I use this when I'm casting from my boat or casting from shore. If you can find a Creek coming in, that's bringing water at this time of the year, it's just a magnet. And what's going to happen this year, I I think is with this late melt and and everything going on, the water table's pretty high. If we get just a little bit of rain, those last couple days before opener, it's going to be pretty cool. There's going to be a, a lot of little areas where there's inlets of water flushing into lakes, fish those areas, you know, pitch into that little bit of current, pitch into those areas. And you'll find a lot of times that it's just a magnet for fish that have finished spawning and they're over there grabbing whatever food is flushing into
1: the system. Some great stuff from John Thielen. He is the host of Lindy's Fishhead TV on Fox Sports North, uh, John. If people want more information on you, uh, your TV show, and, and what you're up to, what's the easiest place to find all that? You know, I've got I've got a Facebook page. It's, it's actually called
0: Professional Angling Promotions slash My Name John J O N P Thielen. Um You can you can find what I'm doing. You can you can kind of watch where I'm going around the country right there. Um, the other place that's really great is if you haven't seen the TV show or if you don't have time to see the TV show. You can go to Lindy Fishing Tackles YouTube channel. And right there we put all of these Fish Ed episodes up there. So you can you can look at archived shows from years. And there's there's always something there that no matter what the tactic is you're looking to go do, we've got a video up there to to help you learn how to how to do this. And and once you watch some of those, you might say, hey, that, that might be one of my new favorite shows to watch on Saturdays. And and the new shows for Lindy's Fish Ed will kick off in December next year and uh, run again through the end of March. So so there's there's a lot of opportunity out there, though, to see these episodes, um, whether it be on TV or online.
1: John Thielen, host of Lindy's Fishhead TV, Saturday mornings on Fox Sports North. John, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I know you're a busy guy, uh, and hopefully we can have you on the show again here real soon.
0: I'd love to, and I'm I'm never too busy to talk fishing. There's nothing better in the world to get to talk about than fishing, so... So anytime, Brian, I I appreciate you having me on today. Good luck to everybody on Opener.
1: More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. When
0: your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist, you'll want to invite everyone over. From book club to reality TV watch parties, even the in-laws. It smells amazing airwick vibrant essential mist is infused with two times more essential oil versus regular airwick essential mist for our most authentic nature-inspired fragrance experience airwick vibrant essential mist is perfectly portable and effortlessly easy the way fragrance should be now that's a breath of fresh airwick